All right, all right. You're listening to the Sober Awakenings Podcast, a show designed to aid you in the journey of recovery and encourage you to embrace living in states of enlightenment and presence. I'm your host, Tim Bernicke. The Sakina Method of Recovery is a 12-step program from an Islamic point of view. Whether you're struggling in the midst of pain or on the path of recovery, these sober awakening conversations and interviews are here to be a reminder and a record of the power of permanent transformation. This is the podcast launch episode, and it also happens to be Ramadan. And I couldn't be more excited to bring you this special interview I did with my dear friend, as as well as a personal mentor of mine, Ramin Rahatsad, since we were unable to access the studio due to pandemic lockdowns, we utilized some web technology to record this interview. As such, I do apologize in advance for the lower audio quality. Ramin and I spent nearly two hours discussing his personal journey, his business Sound Heart Integrated Counseling, and current insights for dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Here is Sober Awakenings. Episode one. All right, we are here um, taking advantage of the benefits of technology during the coronavirus, utilizing Zoom to record an interview. Uh, Alhamdulillah, it's a very blessed opportunity to get to take advantage of these things. I have today dear brother and friend, uh, Ramin. Welcome, Ramin. Um, if you could just introduce yourself to the listeners and everyone. I, I know I've known you for a very long time, and it's been a pleasure. Um, and I'll share that maybe here in just a moment. But uh, if you want to introduce everyone, uh, your, yourself to everyone, that would be wonderful sure. way to introduce. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tim. Alhamdulillah, it's good to be here. And uh, yeah, so my name is Ramin Rahadzad. Um, I, I'm a licensed professional counselor in Portland, Oregon. And um, I was kind of born and raised here in Portland and um, been connected to, to you, Tim, for a few years now and more so in the last year. Alhamdulillah, it's been great. So, yeah. Alhamdulillah, yeah. So uh, Ramin and I met, we'd see, it was about three years ago almost, I think. Um, I had just converted to Islam, came to MCCP, the Muslim Community Center of Portland for the first time. You guys were in the middle of a board meeting and I walked in <laughs> trying to make, to catch Asr and totally didn't get it correct. Um, but alhamdulillah, you were there, uh, introduced me to some really good things like the uh, being Muslim book uh, by beloved uh, Arsad Taslim uh, and many other things. It was just a very special meeting, good chance to bond and things just developed from there. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I had to take a year off and go visit family and then move back down here and you know, one of the reasons I asked you to come on today was because I've been a part of your group uh, kind of uh, support and study 
sessions that you host at MCCP and then uh, also uh, additionally throughout the week. Right. So, and those have been a wonderful time for me just in, in developing my own personal uh, spiritual journey. But I've also had the pleasure of getting to see other people's journeys as well. The whole group setting has been amazing and I've taken a lot of knowledge uh, and insight for myself from uh, those experiences. And I know that that is something that you've only just recently started. I know you had the vision for it because you shared that with me the first time we met three yeah. years ago. Yeah. And to see that evolve into what it's become today has been a really special thing. But there's a lot of groundwork that took place to get that to happen. Sure. Yeah. And I think a starting point would be to kind of talk about your own personal journey, uh, your own spiritual journey. Um, if you want to kind of start with that maybe, and then we'll kind of uh, maybe lead yeah. up eventually to where things yeah, are today. Yeah, inshallah, inshallah will be, maybe yeah, we'll start with kind of, might be good to kind of have a kind of a little bit of background just, um, so my roots kind of, I, so I was born and raised here in Portland, Oregon. My, my family is originally from Iran. So my, both of my parents, my mother and my father uh, were born and raised in Iran and they came to the United States in the, mid seventies. So, uh, you know, they initially came to Philadelphia and then by the late seventies had moved to Portland. And then, uh, you know, they, they were actually always planning to kind of return to Iran, but when the revolution in 79 happened and then the, you know, Iran Iraq war, uh, you know, they continued to just stay here. And that was the advice of family that they were getting us to kind of hold things, wait, wait things out until things settled down and you know things kind of didn't settle down for some time with the war continuing on you know my parents had my brother and then myself in the early 80s and ended up having roots in portland so ended up staying and so i i was born and raised here and i grew up in a in a family that was uh, not really practicing and identifying you know as muslim so i didn't really grow up with any kind of uh you know Islamic practice or guidance or even really any knowledge at all kind of my my only exposure was like when my grandparents would would visit from Iran I would see them sometimes praying and you know sometimes making dhikr on their on their on their beads but I didn't really have kind of any knowledge about the religion at all and you know even my my first exposure really to religion I had a really good friend who I grew up with and he was a really devout Christian I mashallah like really really kind soul mashallah and i would go to church sometimes with him like first grade second grade that type of a period of time and i i just liked kind of uh you know in the mornings we would get up and his his grandfather would actually take us to a donut shop so we would go to the donut shop get some donuts and then go to church and then you know have our play day you know <laughs> so that was kind of my first exposure and um, you know, there's a lot of kind of lessons and things that I found really valuable in some of the, uh, you know, going to church on Sundays. And that was for like a, a short period of time. And, you know, there was certain, there was a point where, you know, my friends always apologized to me about this later on, but, you know, my, when my grandfather had passed away, Allah um, he, my friend, you know, I was asking him questions. So I was like, you know, my, my grandfather wasn't like a Christian and like, you know, he died. Like, did, you know, where is he going and stuff like that? And he's like, oh, like, you know, I'm, 
sorry to tell you, but like, you know, only Christians go to heaven. So, you know, he, he went to hell, you know, <laughs> and he's like, you know, eight years old. So, you know, he's just, you know, didn't have the most tack in it, but I remember that really rubbed me the wrong way. And so kind of like we were on bad terms for a couple of weeks and, you know, eventually I think our mothers got involved and helped us reconcile and things like that. And alhamdulillah, we're still, we're still friends to this day, mashallah. But, um, that was something that kind of always kind of turned turned me off. I didn't kind of really fully understand that. You know. um, but so growing up, kind of getting older, I kind of never had any kind of association with religion and generally tended to kind of just be more wavering between agnosticism and atheism throughout as early as I can really remember from that period on um, with, you know, some moments of like traveling to Iran and kind of my, my curiosity being piqued some of the things that I saw but like never really kind of going into it um and it really it really wasn't until my mid-20s where I was so in my mid-20s I had gone on a on a Fulbright Fulbright grant to Azerbaijan to kind of do some research and study there and in the course of my time there I ended up getting like a really bad case of food poisoning and you know the the initial symptoms were quite severe you know but kind of getting through that first 24 hour period um i kind of noticed that i was having ongoing symptoms that were digestive symptoms and um just kind of feeling really off in general in my body and everything and so i ended up going to doctors they're trying to figure out what's going on they couldn't really figure it out ended up kind of going through this endoscopy without any anesthesia or any <laughs> anything which was kind of an interesting uh somewhat traumatic experience um and you know just basically they're saying like oh there's just inflammation but it's kind of like unidentifiable and things like that and you know i was changing my diet i was looking into a bunch of like natural remedies at this point because mainstream medicine kind of wasn't helping me i ended up coming back to the u.s sooner than i expected and in this whole process, there was a lot of exposure that I had to acupuncturists, naturopaths, uh, energy healers. And so I was kind of like really opened up to like many different healing modalities, different ways of viewing the world. And, you know, some of my materialist inclinations were kind of being challenged by some of the people that I was being introduced to. And so, you know, I kind of got uh, pulled into some new agey circles at, at that point in my life. And a lot of things about, you know, vibration and equilibrium and healing and things that kind of like I was beginning to, to understand that there's something beyond just the physical realm that has import and that recognizing, you know, really an experiential felt sense for, for myself, like that I'm limited and that I don't have control over things, you know, and recognizing that there was some kind of a higher power that um what was at work but i didn't it was still very kind of a loose a loose belief and inclination um and you know i ended up having a lot of different experiences just health wise and breaking out in like really bad uh, dermatitis throughout my body and like again going to different practitioners and doctors and trying to find healing 
healing for myself physically, but also just having a lot of emotional pain too. So at that time, kind of coupled with what was coming up physically for me was um, a lot of more attention being given to uh, just a lot of grief, unprocessed grief I had around my father's death. So my father, he was diagnosed with ALS, um, also known as like Lou Gehrig's disease, when I was 12 years old. And, you know, watching him kind of uh, physically deteriorate over a period of a little over two years, um, that whole process was like, I think for me, like really the first thing that kind of shook me to my core. I mean, my my childhood, I always remember with really fond memories and never really having any, any really, any, any traumatic experiences, except when my father was diagnosed, I remember just like my world being shook and being like, you know, how do I make sense of this? Like my mother and my father sat down with us and they told us that like doctors gave him two to five years. I was just like, what, like, where is this coming from? Like, I can't even understand like, or comprehend that my father wouldn't be a part of my life. And going through that whole process and taking care of him and my mother taking care of him and us supporting and helping him out. And, you know, to the point of when, you know, we had to help him go to the bathroom, help him eat all the basic things that like we just take sometimes for granted. And kind of, this was a man who I saw as very like independent and strong. And yet now he's in the state that he's come completely, you know, helpless. So that, that whole process and then his death, his subsequent death when I was 14, um, I kind of, I, I mean, I, I processed it the best way a 14-year-old could, you know, and I continued to go to school and I put my focus and energy on doing well in school, playing basketball and excelling in that realm. But I never really kind of processed the emotional side. So in my mid-20s, as my physical health symptoms were coming up, I was also like, a lot of these emotions and unresolved grief was like coming up for me. So I ended up like seeking out counseling for the first time in my life. And that, that kind of opened me up in parallel to getting a lot of, um, you know, seeking alternative healers, like asking more deeper questions about my life and those existential life questions about what is the meaning and purpose of my life and kind of not having easy answers to that. But, you know, kind of maybe to keep this short a little bit, you know, I, I ended up moving to Hawaii um, because I found out that my skin was actually very receptive to the kind of the climate there. So a lot of sun and seawater. And I was like in the water while I was living there for about nine months. I was basically in the water like five, five days out of the week. You know, after work, I would get off work and just like go into the ocean, you know, and be on the beach. And it was like really a therapeutic time in my life. And also in that realm, I was connected to a lot of, again, energy healers and things like that and um, continuing to ask questions. And I think towards the end of my time there, I began to get into some uh, work of Rumi and translation. So I was reading some Rumi and the poetry like kind of really resonated with me. And so that in combination with like being in Hawaii and spending a lot of time out, uh, you know, just sitting by the ocean. And, you know, if I don't know if you've been to Hawaii or not, but everything is so lush there. Like, it's just like booming with vegetation and everything is alive there. So like kind of reflecting on the creation, I was just like, 
there was a point that I, I came to that I was like, there's no way, there's no way that all of this is an accident. Like this, the stars and the moon and the sun and the ocean and, you know, the plants and, and just like feeling the interconnectedness of everything and the intricacy and the detail, right? The detail, you'd see like a little bug move by and you're just like, subhanAllah. I, I didn't say subhanAllah at the time, <laughs> but it's like, you're amazed and just moved by the intricacy and the detail in things in creation that we normally just kind of walk by. We don't give it any, any attention and just recognizing that there's no way, you know, that there, you know, design, design of this type must have a designer, you know, it, it can't be otherwise. And so that's kind of really where my belief in like a creator uh, came to fruition. Coming back to, to Portland, I was now like had a belief in in God, you know, uh, without any religion or any guidance or anything of, of the sort, but recognizing that there is a creator, right, and that my connection to that source is is meaningful and important. And at that time, you know, reading more poetry from from Sufi figures like Rumi, Attar, really connecting to kind of my heritage, my Iranian heritage, like you know, finding beauty in the works of Attar and Sadi and Hafez. So these kind of things really resonated with me, both on a spiritual and a cultural level. And then, you know, um, one of my good, one of my other best friends from childhood, um, you know, he's half Iranian, half Mexican, and he had gotten engaged to a Palestinian woman. And this was kind of my first time now getting connected to a group of other Muslims like, who were identifying as Muslims. And they weren't necessarily the most practicing, but they, you know, they were, they believed in Islam. And so I remember like through my friends, fiance's group of friends that we would sometimes hang out with, I would just get into debates and like conversations with them. And like, it's like, how can these people actually believe in like all of these things and these details and like prophecy and all this stuff? I was just like, doesn't make sense to me. So I kind of like spent a lot of time debating, arguing, trying to refute their beliefs. And, you know, in that whole process, like um, getting interested in like, how can they possibly believe these things? <laughs> and initially my intention was not a good one. It was like to try to like refute them and like really kind of like from a place of ego of like showing them that I'm smarter and I know better. and their beliefs are wrong and you know in the in that whole process looking up things and i think i probably came a, i came across like some sheikh hamza you know on youtube like just browsing certain things some sheikh hamza yusuf clips and um being kind of like wow this this is a this is somebody that's intellectual and also like believes these same things that these other people who i don't really seem to have much high opinion of, you know, mashallah, they're good people, but I had this type of arrogance at this time. Um, but kind of like being introduced to some of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf's work and his lectures kind of opened me up. And he has a series that he did in like New Mexico in the, I think it was probably the late nineties. Um, but it's like a seven part series that he just goes basically through like Islam, Iman, Ihsan. And it's for like 
other professors who are not Muslims. So he was speaking in, in a language that I could understand because you know, I was academically inclined and that kind of, that whole thing really kind of moved me and like inspired me to like want to learn more about Islam. You know, I still, there was a lot of things I still had a lot of questions about, a lot of doubts about, but that really kind of like piqued my interest and I ended up picking up a, a interpretation, translation of, of the Quran in English by Thomas Clear, Cleary, which was something that I remember Sheikh Hamza had kind of recommended as a decent translation at that time. So when I began to go through this, I felt that the book was like speaking directly to me. And I think a lot of people will experience that, you know, it's just like, there's a big reflective process that you have when you engage with it. And it kind of, it's calling to that even in, even in an interpretation translation, there's something of it that still comes through that you're like, this book is addressing like the fundamental things about like who you are, like, where did you come from and where are you going, right? And so that kind of like was a big thing that like once I picked that up and I read through it, I was like unable to kind of like let it go. Like I wasn't, I hadn't formally taken my Shahada, but I knew that this was something that was real and I had to take seriously. And so like, you know, long story short, my, my journey, I began to listen to a lot of scholars through YouTube. I began to read more material i was reading from william chittick like vision of islam is like mashallah like an amazing book that like really spoke to me and again you know i still had a lot of questions but at this point the theologically like i began to really resonate with islam i was like this theology makes sense and it's it's sound and it's clear and i was able to be like okay I think I, I probably believe in this, you know, and I was able to work through a lot of my doubts about prophecy and revelation and um, came to a point of like belief, but still grappling with a lot of the more Sharia aspects of the, of the religion. That was just hard because of my upbringing and kind of being um, connected to very hyper liberal and secular circles. It's just hard for me to engage certain things around that. But I came to a place where I was like, <clears throat> I remember that I was kind of vacillating between like wanting to really commit and not, and like really commit and not. And there came a point where I was like, I know that I have to do this. And I know that I have to accept this. And I remember when I first took my Shahada, I, I did it very privately to myself. It was February 21st of, 2011 it was actually the anniversary of our brother and spiritual father malcolm x mm -hmm. uh, assassination and you know malcolm x was also somebody that i always even in my pre-islamic times really I, I really valued and appreciated what he stood for and i i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna say this shahada to myself and like I, so I, I said it to myself that day, just quietly to myself. And, <laughs> you know, I kind of, I had this amazing like feeling of just like really wanting to take this religion on and run with it. And so 
you know, without being fully like um, having a lot of balance and wisdom and things like that, I was just like, I had this white kufi that I had bought when I was in Jordan, like from years before when I was studying abroad in Jordan, put on this white kufi. I'm like, every time I go out of the house, I'm wearing this white kufi. So like everybody knows that I'm, I'm Muslim. <laughs> and this kind of like horrified my, my mom. <laughs> but uh, so I was kind of like, you know, I remember wearing this, the kufi to like my, I was going to an interview at PSU for like the counseling program. And like, I was going on a trip to Iran and my mom was like super concerned, like don't wear it to the airport, all these other things. And I'm like, no, like, I'm, you know, and like my family in Iran just being like amazed, like, wow, where did this person come from? Like, you know, all of a sudden he's like dressed in this like Muslim garb and everything. And, you know, again, I, I didn't know a whole lot and I was still kind of, but I was like really passionate about being Muslim and like really connecting <clears throat> to something that was powerful and meaningful, just not having a lot of balance and guidance and not having people in my life that can kind of uh, guide me and, and direct me. Um, you know, at this time too, I had some of the people in that friend circle that were like supporting me in, in some ways. You know, I had a, a good friend I'm still connected to here in Portland who was at that time like, going to Fajr prayers quite often at Bilal Masjid. And he was sometimes like, hey, come with me and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's really early, you know, but like, okay, let's, let's do it. <laughs> and so like all these things that like, I began to, to live Islam, um, it really kind of like changes you, like when you begin to practice. And I, and I had actually fasted like one of the Ramadans before, before taking my Shahada. So all of these things, like without knowing it, they kind of bring you into ways of being Muslim slowly, slowly. And to more kind of Islamic points of view and ways of being and knowing. And, you know, I still had a, a big journey ahead of me to kind of like move through a lot of the um, kind of liberal reinterpretations of Islam that were, you know, um problematic you know to say the least but that that whole process took me some time i mean i i always tell people that probably from the time that i took my shahada to the time that like i really embraced you know uh traditional normative sunni islam was probably like close to a three-year period and it kind of the thing that sealed the deal for me was going on rihla in in 2014 you know i mean Prior to that, I was basically mostly convinced of the traditional approach to Islam, but actually having the opportunity to go to Rihla. So the Rihla, you know, Dean Intensive Program is kind of like a three, three and a half week um, intensive where you learn the foundations of Islam. So you're learning about your practice, you're learning about Aqidah, so, you know, you're getting your creed and your theology and then uh, also tasawwuf and the spiritual refinement and it's it's an intense program like your whole day is around basically studying and learning and I took it I mean I, I really ran with it so like I took it very seriously and I took their homework homework assignments seriously and so I was doing all the readings and like basically any downtime that we had I was either using it to do that recommended one hour power nap that they recommended or to you know, read more and study more. Because we, I, we, I was basically like sleeping. And for that, for me at that time, like sleeping four hours a night was like, I'd never done that before, but I was 
I was sleeping, you know, four hours a night consistently, but finding that I had so much energy, you know. You know, that energy element is... Yes, because... Oh, sorry, I was just saying that that energy element is something that I, I can see often in that convert stage when you kind of yeah. broken into the religion actually with anyone who's really had that awakening of yeah. terms of like and the, the big truths of insight is that as soon as that happens there's just this instant passion that jumps in on you where you just you just want to move forward and exactly. take everything on with everything you've got even yeah. if it's you don't have the knowledge or uh wisdom to go into it Exactly, yeah, exactly. So yeah, subhanAllah, like actually being with teachers um, and not only, you know, being in their classes and learning from them and taking notes from them, but then also being able to see them uh, as they were with other people, as they related to their families. Sometimes they had their families with them, uh, their good friends, uh, the ways that they interacted with me, just seeing that level of like, sincere concern for the truth and for other people being connected to the truth that was really impactful and kind of seeing actually the the character of the prophet وسلم, really reflected you know in varying degrees to it was like beautiful you know to see that and experience that and and then also get that learning combined with that I was like, that that for me, like, that sealed the deal for me in terms of being really fully confident in recognizing that Islam was the truth, that it was preserved, and that we have we have teachers that have an unbroken chain leading directly back to our beloved Prophet and that these are sources and fountains of knowledge and guidance and that like we don't have to be left to our own devices you know that allah has still provided the means for us to be connected and to be healthy and whole and well and connected to truth and beauty right subhanallah yeah you know i before we move on i want to touch back on a couple <coughs> things that you highlighted in your story sure, which yeah. It was absolutely beautiful and you know as you're saying it I, i'm thinking so much back onto my own journey and similarities in terms of like health issues that got me kind of in the stage of searching mm -hmm. um, after a long period. Back when you were talking about the incident with your, your dad uh, and things that happened as a kid uh, with mm -hmm. that. I, I remember moments where I had those kind of, uh, you, you could say maybe even uh, religious arguments with, with my cousins who were, uh, so I was raised Christian and they were uh, atheist. Um, mm. But in terms of things and having that real moment of awakening, when it comes to the the bigger kind of aspects of, of death and when yeah. we we're approaching that. And that's kind of shaking up the, the paradigm in terms of recognizing the temporality yeah. of everything. Right. And I, I mean, I, I can remember my uncles and aunts and my mom having to get into discussions to kind of break up us as cousins in, in those arguments that we were having at the time with our very limited knowledge was like probably about eight, nine or so at the time. Yeah. And yeah. And then, you know, also talking about the, the story with your dad reminds me of course of my mom who had cancer 
and mm. how that threw me at the time. I mean, again, raised as a Christian here, I, I was about um, 18, 19 when that happened and kind of just throwing myself into my right. studies at the time, just kind of to uh, have a way to mm. pursue it since Christianity was what I knew and then taking a bunch of religious classes aside from what my major was in terms of music at the time. Yeah. Kind of law. Yeah. It's so fascinating how these things happen. And, you know, your, your story about the journey taking you, it sounds like all over the world almost at one point, uh, which is, which is amazing. MashaAllah. And, you know, I have relatives out in Hawaii and being mm -hmm. out there, seeing the nature, that, that, that's almost like the story of Prophet Abraham, mm -hmm. where he's, he's looking at, at the heavens and he's recognizing, look, no, I, I don't love the thing that sets this temporal thing and that creation around us. It, it can't be just there. There has yeah. to be a source behind that exactly. recognition of all of that. It's, it's a beautiful journey and you can see the progressive stages and yeah it, it's it's amazing as well because you know the Quran tells us some of these things in terms of how like the, the Malata Ibrahim he, he's able to use his own intellect his his reason to kind of progress into the stages of the, recognizing the Tawheed the oneness yeah reality yeah and that story in the and I remember when reading the uh, the clear clear interpretation it was um, that was something that I connected to immediately was, you know, our prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, his, his way of like using reason and logic to kind of be like, no, like there, this isn't the ultimate reality. Like there's a source behind this. Like that really was something that I connected to deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, beyond that, cause I mean, we have the, the reason and the logic that's a part of us, but then there's also, it's this, it's kind of this innate sense of truth. Yeah. Like you're saying when you, when you opened up the Quran for the first time, it was as though it spoke to you and you recognized that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing that is, is deeper than comprehension really takes us. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's something that it pulls, it pulls the heart in, you know, and it, it, it grips your attention and it speaks to something very, deep in you it's it speaks to your fitra right in in, mm -hmm. a, in a real in a heavy way that's very intense sometimes so along this journey um i mean obviously there, there there's points to highlight along the way um your your, your dad's uh suffering from als and passing at a young age um the kind of sickness health issues uh, on your travels uh, and then that kind of progressive journey, the spiritual um, kind of awakening as well. That, oh, that was something I wanted to highlight was that, you know, as this physical ailment is, is progressing with you and you're recognizing that, you're also at the same time recognizing that there's an inner dimension to it, it sounded just like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the inner dimension was something that initially resonated with me because I was, you know, I was already in circles that talked kind of about spirituality and the importance of experiential knowledge. And so I connected to, you know, a lot of the, you know, the Sufi poetry and, 
<clears throat> that was an element that was easily like relatable to me and you know because it draws so much upon love that there's a natural kind of inclination that happens there you know that being said like there was also a lot of i was connected to a lot of like <laughs> you know circles that weren't connected to actually having a container you know so it was a lot of spiritual talk but without any kind of um containment and actually sometimes when we don't when we're not aware of ourself fully uh a lot of the spirituality can be actually a lot really ego based and ego driven and feeling driven which is you know later i kind of came to awareness of that and recognizing the limitations of only being in a place of talking about i'm spiritual but not religious you know mm. um, but but yeah i mean the spiritual component that inner dimension always spoke to me because there was an experiential process happening in me i was noticing that i was i was connected to you know a higher source that was experiential it wasn't just through reason and logic chopping right it was it was something that was felt there was an actual relationship yeah. there yeah yeah yeah, yeah subhanallah so um this this is obviously not where things are today because as you said you, you've had some recognitions in terms of like um struggling with the ego uh connecting into this relationship um and i mean obviously today you're kind of you have your own counseling practice um you're leading these study and support groups uh, as well as other things um Take us up to this this period. How, how did this journey kind of culminate into where it's at today? Yeah, I mean, so I think, yeah, well, this is kind of probably shifting a little bit more into like my engagement with the Muslim community and then kind of re really becoming passionate about, um, you know, doing, doing work in the community and, and kind of being in service, you know, and, and this was really modeled for me by you know, I would say the elders of MCCP, so the Muslim Community Center of Portland. I mean, this is this is the center where I took my shahada. So Imam Shahid, you know, may Allah preserve him. He 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 guided me through those blessed words. You know, when I when I took my shahada publicly on September 30th of 2011, um, and immediately at that time they were kind of doing, I think they were Wednesday nights maybe, but they were doing like faith development uh conversations and, and this was kind of something that was facilitated by our brother abdul hafid who's now in uh, he's not in portland anymore but he was a uh, mashallah a very young vibrant leader in the muslim community center of portland and uh with him and imam najib and <clears throat> imam shaheed kind of guiding me in that early period i was i felt a lot of love and connection in you know, people supporting me who didn't know me, didn't know anything about me, they're from completely different backgrounds, different life experiences. And yet I felt like they were so loving and so caring and so concer genuinely concerned for my well-being and wellness that it was like they were like family in a sense. And so I got connected to that community. And so, you know, doing kind of just different things through MCCP and Bilal Masjid, mostly initially early on, it was just 
um, volunteering at different events and initiatives and things like that. But as you get connected to Muslim communal life, you begin to see a lot of uh, the beauty that's there, but also some of the deficits, right? In terms of, you, you begin to see some of the gaps, right? That um, the areas where, when people are coming in, they're not necessarily supported, right? So me being supported by a few of the elders and people at MCCP, I came to learn quickly that that wasn't the norm, that that was actually somewhat of an exception in the community. Mm. And recognizing that there was a need to actually have things that were sustainable for people to get plugged into and communities where people to get plugged into where they can feel continuously supported and have <clears throat> good companionship. And, you know, mashallah in Portland, we have a couple of, we have a few beautiful teachers and <clears throat> people that are holding down some <clears throat> lessons and lectures on an ongoing basis. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there's not really kind of a, something that's kind of like, on, there weren't kind of ongoing supportive uh, organizations or groups that kind of really spoke to particularly the, the Muslim American experience and particularly for young adults, for new Muslims, for Muslims that maybe were, were born Muslim but are now recommitting to their faith for the first time or re-engaging it. And there's kind of like a real big gap, right? So they're not really finding places where they can go in be authentically themselves, ask the questions that they need to ask without being reprimanded or uh, given a poor answer or, you know, told not to ask those questions or whatever. There, there wasn't kind of spaces where people could be authentically themselves with whatever culture they're coming from, uh, you know, their African-American culture or Latino-American culture or white American culture or whatever it is, native culture, whatever they're coming in with that they couldn't actually holistically come in and be themselves, but take on this religion fully because they had to either, they felt like they had to adopt, you know, a Desi culture, or Arab culture, or Somali culture, or what, what have you. And so this was, you know, also my own journey too, of like coming into my own Islam and like being myself, recognizing that we need to have these spaces and then seeing it modeled in other places. So you, you're seeing the work done at Tatlif Collective. You're seeing the work done in, in Ottawa with the Senate Collective. You're seeing the work being done, you know, at Majlis in LA and other, other places too, right? You're beginning to see models where they're actually doing this really well, right? With beauty, with Ihsan, and recognizing that we need that too, right? And in Portland, you know, we kind of maybe don't have the, um, the that, that kind of scholarly element of somebody who's who's uh, well rooted in the tradition, right, and trained as a scholar, but also was kind of born and raised in the community and has their ear to the street, so to speak. We kind of don't necessarily have that, but um, how can we still build community, right? So that was kind of like the impetus to me wanting to kind of formalize some kind of a consistent group where at least people could come in and connect with others who are interested in learning Islam in a comprehensive fashion, um, recognizing our limitations, right? That I'm not a scholar. I'm not even 
I can't, I can't consider myself to be a serious student of knowledge because just not at that level, right? And so recognizing our limitations, but still wanting to get people connected to scholarship, to, to the le thought leaders and, you know, the righteous people who are also very connected to, you know, the, the North American cultural context, right? And so this, this became really important to kind of create at least a space for people to come in, be themselves, they can ask questions. We might not be able to answer their questions, but we can get them connected to resources, right? And we can get them connected to scholarship and we can get them connected to classes, you know, and get them connected to other organizations that are doing this work while still providing sohba and companionship, right? So that becomes kind of my intention for starting it was just building spaces where people can come in, connect to others, and get connected to scholarship. Like that was kind of the, the intention behind starting it. Inshallah. That's, that's really amazing. And it kind of highlights what you noticed in your journey too, because, and I, I don't know, because you mentioned that you were kind of like the exception to the, the norm. Uh, in terms of getting the opportunity to sit with some of our, our local uh, elders and uh, get that kind of intimate relationship from an early stage, mm. whereas that was maybe something you didn't see with others. I know we often talk about kind of roadblocks along the way, mm. um, but for you, it sounds like maybe you, you noticed the roadblocks less in yourself and more in how other people had access. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in myself, you know, I, I, I saw it because like my, my initial engagement with Islam was very much like um, an academic pursuit. It was reading books, listening to lectures, and I wasn't really connected to community. And initially, like I had some reservations about even coming to the masjid, you know, it, it, it felt a little bit awkward for me. And so like, I much preferred to like be at home and doing my like, <laughs> my worship by myself <laughs> and there's just like being in my books and things like that and you know there's an element to that that I think is partly for myself I needed that at a certain time and a place in my life but then also recognizing the, the real void and then you're reading these texts and they're like you need a teacher you need a teacher you need a teacher oh by the way you need a teacher <laughs> and like recognizing the importance of like this can't be done through just books you know and that you need to engage with with Islam is preserved in human hearts. And so we have to take it from the hearts of those who are connected, right, in an unbroken chain to our beloved Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so that was really recognizing that, you know, that like we need to have each other and we need to support each other. And the community, the Ummah is so incredibly important. And that, you know, going out and experiencing in certain pockets, I felt love, I felt acceptance, I felt warmth, but by and large, I still felt a disconnect in many places that I went to. And I wanted to just have a place where I could be myself, right? And um, not have to necessarily uh, dress in a certain way or uh, speak in a certain way or adopt somebody else's culture to, to be kind of a part of a community, right? And so really focusing on can we find a way where our focus, the thing that ties us together is Allah, right? And is the religion. And that regardless of what your background is, your past, your culture, your experiences, 
that we can all still come together based on that foundation. And we're not going to be culturally predatory and try to make other people give up certain aspects that are not in contradiction with the Sharia. You know, the things that have to go have to go, but those are very minimal compared to the things that can be preserved in people's personality and their culture and things like that. That's such a beautiful insight is that once we recognize the importance and significance of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the relationships with each other become even more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. SubhanAllah. So, okay. How did, because you, you have your, your own practice now with Sound Heart Integrative Counseling. How did that evolve out of this kind of mm. seed of an idea? Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, kind of taking it back. So I, I, my, my counseling journey and my Islam actually, like they converged in a lot of ways. So I actually entered into PSU's like master's program for counseling at the same time that I had formally taken my Shahada publicly. Like it was mm-hmm. literally like that same time period, that same month. And so my journeys were like connected in some ways. So I was going through my degree program, but also like learning a lot about Islam at that time. And like being interested in just like the psychology of the self, right? And so that whole, that was like a really meaningful aspect to me. It was just like, I want to know myself more deeply and I want to know other people more deeply, right? And, um, you know, coming out of the graduate program, I worked at a community health agency for about five years and I was predominantly seeing, uh, you know, refugee population predominantly mostly most most of whom were muslims and um recognizing you know uh the importance of bringing faith and spirituality into uh therapy was like really front and center for me um throughout my time there but also being like just learning and being conflicted at times about like different paradigms and ways of thinking about the human being and thinking about even healing. And, uh, you know, it, it was a big journey for me, you know, and I'm somebody like my temperament, I, I got very comfortable kind of working in the routine that I was at there. And I loved working with the clients that I worked with. Um, and a lot of my coworkers were great, but there's also like natural tensions. I think that sometimes you'll, you'll have when you work in kind of managed care settings where you kind of, there's certain requirements and other things that are, that are present for you and wanting uh, a little bit more to be kind of authentically myself in my therapeutic work was like important for me, but it was a combination of a lot of different uh, push and pull factors, some of which, you know, at this juncture, we won't go into all of the details, maybe at another time, inshallah. But, you know, uh, in some ways, there were some push factors that kind of pushed me out <laughs> of, of, that, of that setting. And kind of, I was thrust in some ways into the world of like private practice. And, um, and we can look at Allah like, being the one to push that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, this is, this is Allah at work, you know, in our lives is that, Sometimes we get certain comfortable in certain settings and we need, we need growth and we need movement and we need development. And I always had this kind of like passion and interest that I wanted to develop, but always feeling like 
so so limited for time so um sometimes after work just really feeling like uh exhausted and and tired and you know um not really spending as much time for self-care as i as i needed to and you know so kind of being thrust out and onto my own was really a blessing in a lot of ways because one i got to really begin a journey of like how can i create something that i'm actually truly passionate about and feel like is going to be of most benefit to myself and others and also like think about myself more about you know even even in the counseling programs that we go through they talk about the person of the therapist as being important and like you need to know yourself and you need to self-care and all these things but it's like really theoretical on, on the practical element it's like a lot of still like focus on externals and like um managing things and not uh, you know there's not really the emphasis given on self-work that needs to be there mm-hmm. and you know so that's something that i also recognize was that like i need to have more time for myself if i'm going to be doing really good work with my clients right and so that that was another shift to that that happened but you know i mean the great thing about starting on your own is that you really get to you get to build something that you believe in and you believe is meaningful so you know being able to really embrace an islamically integrated approach right which is now it's it's gotten more uh you know, it's gotten more attention now. You know, you have great institutions like Khalil Center doing some of this work. You have uh, private practitioners who are who are doing this work in different and there's different approaches, right, to this to this Islamically integrated approach itself too, right? There's varying varying approaches, but really seeing like a lot of great things happening and like Muslims becoming more interested in the psychology of the self in you know healing you know and we use this term like mental health and you know there's something to it but it's not limited to to just the mind right and so thinking about the human being in a more holistic fashion and actually from a place that's centered in in the heart right is that like the heart is actually the center of our being and our seat of consciousness like right. in the heart it's not in the brain <laughs> so yeah. coming from that model there's a bit of a paradigm shift that does that does take place yeah this yeah. is something that we address in the sakina method of recovery program that i i run about how well for the first thing in terms of our paradigms and perceptions that we have to be fully aware of is how our consciousness actually works the, the mind elements mm. then once that's seen clearly it, it becomes almost completely obvious that there's a second kind of awareness and consciousness that's at effect within us. And that's Mm -hmm. our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. So you have been, um, running your, your business now for your, your own private practice for how many years? Oh, it's just been a little over a year now. So, um, yeah, I mean the beginning of, I, I, I technically like filed for my own, LLC in um, I think it was February of 2019, but didn't really get things going until I, um, you know, formally left my my previous place of employment. In it was it was the very end of March, beginning of April. So at that time, I uh, so beginning of April, you know, alhamdulillah, 
brother, uh, Dr. Human Keshavarzi at Khalil Center, him and I were, were in touch for some time and he actually got me plugged in right away, actually doing some web therapy at Khalil Center. So remotely I was doing that and which was a beautiful experience of just um, being able to, you know, listen to their didactics, learn from their team, mm -hmm. um, learn from their model and get exposure to like Muslims of uh, all walks of life uh, nationally and the different things that people were grappling with. Um, that experience, so I, I did that for about seven months um, in addition to having my own practice. So I was doing some web therapy through Khalil Center and then also seeing clients on my, on my own locally here through Sound Heart Integrative Counseling locally. And, uh, you know, it was, it was an amazing experience. Like I'm, I'm learning from people who are really some of the leaders in this area of Islamically integrated care. And also, you know, having the opportunity to uh, connect with people locally here in the community and, you know, operating from this model was really a great learning experience for me. So it's only been, you know, uh, a little over a year that I've been with Soundheart Integrative Counseling for myself. And then, you know, I, I had that brief period of time that I was also doing some of the web therapy coaching and stuff through Khalil Center. Yeah, and I, I know some brothers personally who have really benefited from the work that Khalil Center has done. Um, so getting to be a part of that knowledge and uh, platform that they've been able to put together is is a great addition to your own uh, wisdom and skill sets. Mashallah. Yeah, mashallah. The, so the, the part, and I actually, so I was living up in Idaho about a year ago, I guess, when you were starting this out. And I had some friends down here, and, and I mean, I knew you were planning to do this eventually anyway, to start up the new convert study and support groups. Yeah. And as soon as I heard that these had started, that was actually one of my kind of impetus for actually getting myself to move back down here <laughs> to Portland, alhamdulillah. Um, and those have been going for, I think, about maybe six, seven months now or so. No, it's been yeah, longer so than that. We actually started in the beginning of August. I think it was our first, our first actually session in Beaverton was on, uh, I believe it was on Aid. Um, Adha. Yeah, yeah, that was our, our very first, um, first group that we held in Beaverton. And then we started uh, on also doing it at MCCP on Wednesday nights. So uh, it was in the, it was in that early it was in it was in August, yeah. So it's been, I guess, close to uh, nine, nine, ten months, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it, I'll be honest here. What, like I said, one of the reasons I came down back to Portland was partly to learn from your <clears throat> doing of these support groups, the the coaching, the the counseling in a group setting practice. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this with my own personal coach and mentor in the UK for um, about a year beforehand and was starting to figure out how, how I was going to model it for my own practice and with uh, eventually evolved into the Sakina method uh, recovery. Mm -hmm. And now having done this for, I mean, we're just about finished with our first trial period uh, group of students. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and you've been going now for nine months, I guess it almost it sounds like at this point too. Yeah. The, 
the benefits and the insights that you've gained from these group settings. Um, I know, I mean, I've learned so much just from watching and observing, kind of maybe like how you were describing just being able to sit in uh, Rihla with the, the scholars that were there. Mm. Um, I mean, I know you're humble brother saying that you're not a, a student of knowledge or anything like that, but being able to sit with people who have experience is a very important thing. It's, it's mm -hmm. part of like the whole, idea of the sunnat anyway is to sit yeah. with those who have the wisdom so that you can attain that as well and then this is something in productivity that we learned too is that just basically if, if you have a skill set that you want to attain you should match yourself up with someone who has that skill set to learn it from them it's yeah. in terms of sunnah this is a prophetic example of our prophet because he would partner up the, the sahaba with those who, who had wisdom in one area with those who didn't yeah, and that that wasn't necessarily even in terms of spiritual insights. That could also <clears throat> just in terms of practical things, daily day to day life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just curious from your perspective. I mean, I know I've learned so much from being a part of these groups uh, that you've done. Um, in terms of, it, it's really given me the foundation and the spring forward for how to um, model the group setting and how to lead the group settings. Mm. I'm curious what what insights you've gained from doing these yeah I mean it's it's been interesting because even starting out I knew that I was kind of starting something that in some ways is a little bit unprecedented in terms of it hasn't really been I haven't seen it at least within the Muslim community of it's not it's not really a counseling group in a formal sense and it's also not really a study circle or a halaqa in a formal sense but it it's really like a it's a hybrid right it's a it's a combination it has aspects of both but it's not really either one and i i kind of intentionally wanted to be wanted it to be such because i didn't want kind of all of the formal hang-ups about like having it be like a professional counseling group where people have to uh, you know, sign informed consents and do all these other things and worry about all these different logistical pieces. I wanted it to be more fluid that like people can come in and not get hung up on a lot of uh, the details about a, like a formal counseling group and have it be a little bit more of an open space that doesn't have uh, some of the other barriers in place. Um, but also that it maintains an element of the safety that a support group would that, you know, within the group, the people that come in, that we really stick to confidentiality, you know, and that, that, that's why we keep talking about that. We keep coming back to the group agreements is because that's kind of the glue that holds it together in a lot of ways is that like people need to feel safe and secure that when they share something from their heart, that it's not going to be shared, uh, you know, willy nilly out there open in the community and like people are going to talk and people have things that are weighing on their heart and they need to have a supportive group to share that in and feel good that like there's you know things are gonna they're gonna be their secrets are gonna be protected and they're, they're not gonna be just exposed in that way right so that's been one thing that has been really important is like keeping it open but also maintaining that like we're gonna stick to this group agreement of confidentiality right and and you know having that aspect and like allowing people to come in be who they are open their hearts and actually get support around that get feedback, get support, and connect with others on that creates relationships and creates community. And then tying that in though with also like 
learning, so having an element of the sacred is that we're all coming here based off of, you know, we're seeking a lot, right? And we need support in this journey. And so like having that, you can really begin to see hearts connect because it's not, we're not just coming here to, to have a chat, right? And not saying that like people shouldn't get together and have a chat, but like, let's really come together and talk about what's most meaningful in life because that's what's going to connect us. You know, we want to be able to come around and, and come together based off of like learning what we need to learn and learning and getting connected to what our hearts need. Right. And so that, that's really kind of creating the hybrid was important because you want to have this safe, supportive group environment, but you also want to tie that piece into study and, and sacred learning that connects the heart to something that's higher than just, you know, uh, chit chat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're really talking about the ultimate goal there of the inner transformation that, uh, that comes through purification of the heart. Right. And that's an, that's an amazing thing. And getting to see that happen. And now I, I know your, your background and initially it's, it's not this group group setting. It's more the one-on-one counseling situations. Right. And yeah. I think you, you do some sort of maybe, um, relational ones maybe with families and things too mm-hmm. which which is a little bit broader than the one-on-one experience right. but the, the group setting is much different and getting to see that now after having done that i'm i'm just curious what you think about how that's affected your your model of how you address counseling in general yeah yeah i mean you know there's I think it's, there's a couple of different dimensions to kind of think about. On the one hand, you know, you know, when we talk about even counseling, like what do we, what do we mean, right? Because like the word counseling can be used in, in many different contexts, right? So there's one aspect that's like a person, when they say counseling, they're talking about professional counseling from somebody who's gone through a program, a de- degree program and they have the credentials to do to offer a certain type of professional counseling or they have a licensure in a particular state to offer professional counseling services you know that's that's one formal element of it but if we're going to just look at the word counseling though it's much broader than that it's not just limited to somebody that only has a degree and only has a license and you know there's merit and there's, there's uh you know especially when we get into safety issues that can be an importance to like people being credentialed and having certain educational background on things. But when we're talking about counseling, you're talking about essentially the issues of support, healing, guidance. I mean, these are, these are fundamental aspects of a counseling process. If we're talking about just broadly, what, what the, what some of the intentions behind the process is. It's a place where a person can receive support, uh, have a healing process, a healing journey, and inshallah, like have a process that will be guiding them towards, uh, you know, betterment of some type and and connection to their their creator, right? Is that, that ultimately like, where are we looking to for guidance, right? That has to be also something that we have a conversation about. But so counseling is, is a broader thing. It's not limited to only uh, a professional thing. If we're talking about in, in just the actual intentions behind what it is for, it's to be support, healing space, guidance. And you will find people that have these skills to be able to provide that type of 
therapeutic environment that might not necessarily be uh, credentialed, you know. So they might be able to provide a type of counsel or coaching or peer support that's really valuable and important, right? And I, I mean, I can tell you, like, even from my own personal experience, the, the best, and I've seen a few different practitioners, like uh, counselors and other healers throughout my you know my life and i can tell you that like one of the most impactful experiences i had was with uh cd hakim archuleta you know may Allah preserve him and you know he's not he's not licensed to be a counselor right but he is a fount of wisdom and knowledge and heart and he is connected and he is attuned to people in such a way and he also has you know a lot of experience in you know somatic experiencing and Peter Levine's work. So he has also a lot of, a lot of um, background and experience in certain modality as well, but he's also just like really connected, right? He's really, he's really embodied. He's really present with you and he's able to kind of see what's really going on in, in this person. And because he's coming from the Hakim tradition, he's looking at the, at the, at the whole person, right? He's not going to just look at one aspect and like, cut off the rest and like, yeah, um, you, you know, further, further enhance somebody in their fragmentation. He's actually trying yeah. to bring it all together. Yeah. Right? Trying to work from a holistic, uh, a holistic model. And so, you know, seeing him both for health issues as well as, you know, psychology and healing was like, for me, even though I only had a few sessions with him, I found those sessions to be more impactful to me than, than when I had maybe sometimes seen, somebody who was a, a licensed professional counselor, right? So I just, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's much broader than sometimes the limited definitions that we give. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful thing, because I mean, wisdom that, that Hakeem, uh, the truth and reality, when it's spoken, it doesn't necessarily matter who is the one who's speaking it. Yeah. It matters the, the listener. Yeah. and their state of being so whenever you hear truth wherever it's coming from and it actually resonates with you that's that's that moment of transformation right there and that's that's the beautiful thing that can, that can come from any kind of situation it can come from the moment when you were opening up the quran it can come from like a uh it can come from listening to a ted talk perhaps from someone yeah yeah that's such an amazing thing alhamdulillah you know, with the Sakina method of recovery that um, I've been working on, this this is based off of the classic China 12-step model. Mm. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, things like that have evolved from this. And you obviously will have members in this that might be like certified with degrees in terms of counseling, psychology, uh, therapies, and things like that. But the kind of the core basis of the program is often kind of set up on just peer mentorship. Mm. Those who've gone through a situation, being able to help those who've, who are trying to come out of a situation of addiction yeah. to recover. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the model that I've embraced with mine. And, and often I think, again, it's kind of like what you're saying in terms of the, the ability to give counsel to someone it really comes from the, the place of just having had that insight yourself, which comes from an experience that you've had. 
Yeah. And most any of us have that ability to do it. It's almost like it's the communalizing aspect mm. uh, of bringing it back to the people. And any, anyone in this way could almost counsel to a degree, mm. but uh, it just depends on what level you are at yourself, which means we should be in ourselves striving to attain higher states. Yeah. 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 Always, that, that ever pursuit for knowledge. Yeah. Inshallah. Yeah. Inshallah. And, and, you know, this is a, the, you bring up a really important point, I think about, you know, a person who has gone through something will have an insight into that process because they've actually gone through it themselves. Mm -hmm. right? so when somebody has direct experience of something rather than a theoretical knowledge, it's not to say that people who don't learn like practical tools and theories and things like that can't be of support and assistance, but the, the level of depth that you will have if you've actually gone through it yourself is going to be different. Right? And that's why I know there's certain areas that I'm, I'm strong in, in my counseling practice, and I'm able to be of more support because that's where Allah has allowed me to be of more support because I've gone through it and I know mm -hmm. what it's like. And I have, there's some resonance there between me and my clients who are going through something. And then there's other areas that, yeah, I might have the professional skills and tools and knowledge to support somebody in the process, but I don't necessarily have the experiential knowledge. And that's where, uh, you know, thinking about, Who's the best person for this person? Sometimes it might mean a referral out, right? Sometimes yeah. it might mean um, how can I get this person connected to the best person who can support them? What do they actually need, right? And, and so this also is like knowing ourselves, knowing our limitations, knowing our areas of strength, and just being, being willing to say like, yeah, so some areas, alhamdulillah, Allah has allowed me to be of benefit and support and there's other areas that other people right can be of more support to this person and then also just knowing your limitations in terms of education and expertise and and also the theoretical knowledge part too is like because this is a thing that like you know in within the counseling world there's all this kind of conversation about um there's some people that really dislike coaches and mentors and like peer support people They're like they don't have the skill they don't have the tools they don't have the education they don't have the credentials and, and i get that on the one hand is that they're concerned about sometimes safety issues is that sometimes if you're dealing with people who are going through very extreme addictions or uh, suicidality or forms of psychosis other things that are become big safety issues is that you want to make sure that you're you're doing you're taking care and you're doing your due diligence to make sure that that other person is safe and that you're not going to, because of your own blind spots and shortcomings and kind of skip out on something or, uh, you know, bypass something that needs to be given attention to. And you're kind of missing out on it because you're, you're, un you're unaware or you don't recognize your own limitations. So, you know, I, I get that conversation. And on, on another side of it though, it's like, there's people that have gone through things experientially and they have insight and that they can't provide a lot of support to people. So it's like, you know, once the issue, as long as we're taking care to make sure that issues of safety aren't being overlooked and that like we recognize that maybe this person needs stab stabilization or they need some other practical tools or they need to be put in a more intensive program or something to make sure that they're safe and we're not bypassing those things if they're at higher levels and they can engage in other things like that and they, they can take some 
they can really benefit from just having that peer support or that mentorship, or that guidance, or that counsel. They can really benefit from somebody who's actually gone through it, right? And as long as a person is not projecting their own experience and thinking that everybody else has the exact same experience, because that's obviously a danger too, is that like, if we're not self-aware, we can just be like, okay, I've gone through it. So they must be going through this. No, we have to be careful. Right? Sometimes people have different experiences than their that's own. Right, yeah. right? But there's a lot of insight when, when somebody does have an experiential journey uh, themselves through a particular process. I, I, I think this is similar perhaps to what we almost think of in terms of like the, the uh, aspects of Yaqeen in religion, like mm-hmm. the, the Ilmo Yaqeen and the Ayn Yaqeen. Yeah. The knowledge of something and then you have the actual vision of it. The, yeah. the experience element. Right. Yeah, which then ultimately the goal would be the haq, the, mm. the actual mm. uh, becoming in a way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the whole wisdom, which is like you're saying in terms of like blind spots and things too. We have to have that wisdom to notice, well, like maybe a referral is actually what's going to be the case. And I know I've referred people back to you. Mm. Um, you've referred people to other people as well. Um, it's, it's an important thing to recognize that, hey, look, maybe what i'm saying and you know i have there's a story from one of my, my coaches back in the uk he, he says i've had students come to me and i've noticed almost immediately and <clears throat> he's phrased it sometimes in terms of like temperament differences yeah it's just like i i can give you the knowledge but our temperaments clash so much yeah. that it's it's me it's not going to make for the most beneficial session yeah so it'll be better for me to actually refer you to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So having that network of, of people that are helping each other, and that, that's, that's ultimately Absolutely. a goal to establish as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So okay, this, this kind of actually brings me into something I wanted to discuss, which was our current situation and mm-hmm. our current experiences that the whole world is under right now with the well, for one, we're actually in the middle of Ramadan right now. So, mashallah to both of us for, for doing this, this longer interview uh, while we're both fasting. Uh, it's, it's not our iftar time yet. <laughs> um, but uh, additionally, we're, we're under a global pandemic of the, the, the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus 19. And this is related to a bunch of different things because... You know, right now we're we're seeing uptakes in abusive relationships being yeah. uh, on the rise. Uh, people filing for divorce is on the rise. Uh, just a lot of uh, suicide rates are supposed to be on the mm-hmm. rise as well. Um, there's a lot of difficulty and a lot of pain and suffering that people are going through. Not just in terms of like issues of quarantine and being alone, uh, yeah. but in terms of maybe being stuck with people that you don't gel with yeah, or, or there are actual serious issues. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming you've, you've dealt with maybe a few issues like that just this month and we don't need to go into details about anything. Cause I mean, I know I've, I've had similar people come to me for questions and seeking counsel and advice. I think the bigger thing is that, you know, we've been through this and we're, we're kind of seeing some effects that our, our people are experiencing. We're seeing the troubles mm-hmm. and just kind of common advice and knowledge of how to get through these things is important. Getting them plugged into situations I mean, being able to utilize technology like zoom, 
Mm. You, know, you, you transitioned your, your physical location meetups to online meetups mm. um, as a kind of, kind of bridging the gap in, the, yeah. in these times. And a lot of people have done that. Although also people are talking about having like the uh, over, over zooming. <laughs> yeah. Too, too much of that stuff too. So yeah. a lot of it's finding balance, I think too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So if you want to share some insights on that, and then I also want to talk about the, the, the second stage that we're, we're going to have is, you know, like things are starting to open up. You know, the governor just announced that there's going to be a number of counties this next week here in Oregon that will be easing restrictions. Um, and that's also been happening across uh, the country here and worldwide too. It's in some places they're going under more lockdown and other places they're starting to ease restrictions, but we're going to be having this kind of next stage right. uh, of things too. Yeah. I mean, kind of to your first part about just with the, with the pandemic kind of bringing a lot of things up to the surface. I mean, certainly I think many people in, in the kind of, counseling and helping supportive professions are, are, are noticing that, uh, you know, people are coming in with a lot more anxiety, a lot more stressors, um, you know, depression, oftentimes these things are, are being exacerbated, right, by the current circumstances. Uh, definitely, when, I mean, when it comes to the issues of, like you mentioned, like suicide and things like that, I mean, I don't know who's listening, going to be listening to this, but it's really important to, like, when it comes to those very serious things like you know seek out help like there's a lot of there's a lot of lines of support you know and just know that people love you and they care about you and you know your life is precious and we want you to be well and so there's many different helplines throughout the nation you know particularly within the muslim community there's helplines there's professionals that are doing a lot of uh, talks and providing resources and so seek out you know seek out the support that you need you know get the help that you need this is a difficult time for a lot of people and it's important to take care of ourselves right and don't we can't despair you know we always always know that there's there's healing right even when it seems bleak there's there's an opportunity and the potential for healing and that people care about you and people love you and that you're worthy, right? Because you are, you are a soul created by Allah, right? And so seek out the means of benefit and help, right? So crisis lines, counseling centers, supportive groups, get connected, get plugged in. That's number one, right? When it comes, comes to those issues, you know, this, the other piece about like just relationships, you know, and being being more having more time with people that oftentimes it's family. You know, it's interesting because like it's kind of like back to basics for us. Like let's let's be with our family and let's, you know, actually how can we value that? Right. It's hard for a lot of people because maybe we've been in circumstances where we haven't maybe built the the types of relationships that are have now made it easy for us to be around each other a lot. And this is, you know, it becomes important to really like, this is an opportunity to really look at that. Like, how can we get our relationship right? Can this be a potential opportunity in this hardship and, you know, an emergence of more intensified conflict, maybe? Maybe we need to bring more attention to get uh, 
couples counseling, get some uh, marital coaching, you know, get some support around these relationship issues so that we can get this thing right. Because it's one of the fundamental things in human life is that like first institution in society is the family, right? And if the family is not well, the society is not going to be well, right? And we're not going to be well. So we need to get that right, right? That's, that's an element that's really, we have to focus on. And we, we can't keep delaying this. It's like, if there's problems in the relationships, let's, let's look at it. Let's seek the help that we need to get the support that we need and try to, try to get on good footing here, right? So, you know, certainly there's been, I, I mean, we've all noticed a, an uptick in terms of the relational conflicts and things like that, but it's also an opportunity to, to heal and mend these relationships and to create, uh, create a more vibrant, healthy foundation to kind of stand, stand on, inshallah, you know. And also, like, this is an opportunity to, to connect with Allah. Like, I mean, if, if this is not a wake-up call, you know, I don't know what is like you know we we're living in a in societies that are you know secular in the in terms of like they're disconnected from the sacred and we need if we don't have our creator in our lives our hearts are not going to be well right we we have to we need to nurture that relationship it's a fundamental need of our heart heart like we we have to have that as like when we talk about resilience, it's about bouncing back, right? The thing that, the, the reality that will allow you to bounce back is that if you have a relationship with Allah, right? And I don't mean in a formal sense that you, um, you know, you are now more religious and you're, you're praying all the time and you're making dhikr and things like that, but like, we need to get a little bit beyond just only externals, like, Definitely do your obligations and things like that, but you want to nurture a a relationship with your creator that is organic and that is meaningful so that you actually feel like this is, when you have an ability to lean on and to talk to in your times of need, your source, the ultimate reality, your creator, your divine nurturer, you will be able to bounce back from whatever comes your way, right? And so developing that relationship is imperative, right? Connection, love and connection, right? To Allah, to family, to your community, to the natural world. Like this is paramount, like for us to be be well. You know, when you were mentioning that it's kind of like a state of just coming back to basics, it, it reminded me of the, the the formal group agreements from the the support and study group, and it, you know I didn't ask you to share them earlier, but I think maybe it would be good to kind of maybe just go through them briefly because for anyone who's listening, this could be, be even something that you just incorporate into your just basic familial relationships, because that's what we're talking about really is yeah. that that this it starts first with your relationship with Allah this divine gift that we've been given of relationship with like a big R, but -hmm. then you also have the extended relationships and having the fundamentals of where this relationship, this is built on, you know, kind of in terms of like a theological term, this is like a covenant. Mm. And that's like what an agreement is, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, the group agreements, absolutely, I think uh, they can be very supportive of that process. I mean, you know, the first one is obviously we talked about confidentiality so that people feel that they can share openly and trust others to, to keep, you know, to keep things private unless they they give them permission to share out, you know, just having that safety that, you know, people's secrets will be honored and people's tender sharings will be honored, you know. And number two is kind of this issue of suspending judgment and, and husnudan. So like, you know, we all have our automatic snap judgments that can pop up. It doesn't mean that you have to bite into it and believe it and digest it, you know. You, you can notice it, put it on the side and try to have a good opinion, right? Husnudan, have a good opinion of others and like, Really, it's our egos that like get in the way a lot of times that like we're like, well, I don't know this or that or, uh, you know, I wonder if that, you know, like give people the benefit of the doubt and, and have a good opinion and you'll see what that will do for your relationships. It will, ch it will change things. And I think that that's one of the things in our group has been beautiful is that like mm -hmm. people feel that love and like that well-intentioned wanting to come together and connecting with others and giving people the benefit of the doubt goes a long way, right? And that people can feel like, okay, I'm not going to be immediately judged or reprimanded or something like that, right? It, it allows for people to, to feel more welcome and accepted, you know? And the, the third agreement is um, come as you are to Islam as it is. And this is, um, you know, really, this is a quote from Imam Zayd Shaka, may Allah preserve him, uh, that really kind of, allows exactly the, the kind of community work that we were talking about. I feel like this is the, this is the quote that holds it toge together. And I actually listened the other week to uh, the interview with Sheikh Qasim and, and Abila Masjid. And uh, through, I think it was through Zoom or another online platform, but he mentioned that this is actually, I was not, I was really happy to actually hear him say this, that this was a quote that he felt like he recommended that other institutions and organizations adopt, come as you are, to Islam as it is. Because it allows people to come with whatever history, whatever baggage, whatever hangups, issues, injuries, whatever they're coming with, they can come as they are, but they're coming to Islam as it is, which means that we're not here to fudge the religion or change it or transform it. The religion is preserved, right? I mean, and obviously there's areas of valid difference of opinion among the scholars and there's wiggle room there, but where there's unanimous consensus, that really holds it together. And like, we're not going to change that, right? Because to be healthy, we also need to acknowledge and be connected to truth. And part of that means that like taking Islam as it is. And if you have a hard time with that, okay, it is what it is. You're on your own journey, but like, we're not changing the religion, right? So like that's foundation because you need the part of the medicine is that you be connected to the truth. Right. So that come as you are to Islam as it is. And then a, another piece is, um, you know, uh, no knowledge rule where, where we basically are basically just interpreting and, and defining our terms when we're using Arabic terms so that everybody in the group knows what we're talking about, that we, we translate it, interpret it into English. And then the, the fifth piece is the stepping up and stepping back, which is like monitoring your own level of engagement and are you sharing too much or taking up too much space, you know, or are you, maybe you have a lot of things to share, but you're kind of holding back because you're shy or you're hesitant, or you're, uh, you know, afraid about how it might be received, things like that. But like asking people who are 
more shy to kind of step up and share and then asking those who are more verbose to kind of take a back seat sometimes and kind of monitor your own engagement and participation in that. And that's, I think, definitely healthy in relationships in general is just like monitoring how we're engaging with others, how much space we're taking up. Right? Yeah, subhanAllah. Mm -hmm. That's that, that monitoring, that being aware uh, is really something that just in and of itself, if we take a step back, listen, pay attention to where we are at, where mm -hmm. our feelings and our thoughts are in related to the, the present moment, aware that the, the people that we're engaging with are also in their own worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, and just, just being conscious of the whole kind of broader perspective before we actually try to even have that engagement, have the, a dialogue or a conversation or, maybe taking taking a moment to step back in the middle of an argument to kind of reassess things. I think this is just like, as you say, it's kind of the, the groundings, the, the basis covenant of a relationship that we should all be recognizing and paying more heed to yeah. during times like this. Yeah. And I think it's a blessing, honestly, that, that's personally how I've looked at this entire pandemic, the, the quarantine, um, all of this, uh, it, it's a moment maybe we're being socially distant in a way from other people during these times but it's a way to actually maybe connect on a more heart level yeah i i've felt hearts have not been distant at all they've been, in fact mm -hmm. maybe more closely connected and that's just due to the nature of of love ultimately yeah. coming from its source in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and resonating in each other through the relationships that we have yeah alhamdulillah i mean i i think that that's one of the things i've noticed too is that like we're still getting engagement as we've transitioned to the to the Zoom video conferencing group groups uh, support and study is that people are still coming in, right? And they're wanting to connect this because the heart is there and that they're still connecting with, with other people and they're still connecting to the being Muslim texts and they're still connecting to wanting to, to journey to, towards Allah, right? And that these, these, are, these are things that are people, keeping people plugged in. And obviously I miss having you all in person too, you know, and, and as a facilitator, like there's challenges in doing it right <laughs> through video conferencing and you don't get the, the live kind of human reaction and seeing the whole embodied person right there in front of you. Like there's an element of that. Line. I'm like, wow, this is more challenging as a facilitator, but alhamdulillah, like it's still a blessing that we're able to connect in this avenue and like hearts are still connected. Right. And we feel that. Right. And I think that, also like keeping each other in our prayers i think that this is something that keeps us connected and keeps us coming back you know, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. You know on, on that note um i want to just ask you personally Ramin, any insights that you've had from this this current uh, situation uh and you know as a closing thing i've always i'm, I'm trying to ask all of the guests that i have on the, this program here um what a very transformational either maybe an ayat or a hadith was to them individually mm, inshallah inshallah yeah i mean yeah for me i think kind of like some takeaways from this whole process has been one you know my own temperament and everything i i appreciate a little bit of the the slower pace and having more alone time with Allah and having more time with my wife um, and having it be a little bit, you know, um, 
you know, less social for me personally, I, I welcome that in some ways, like it, it nourishes me in many ways. And I also recognize, you know, that there's still a part of me that uh, really values that social connection. And for a lot of people, I can understand that challenge. And I think that one of the takeaways from this is that like, we really need to have healthy connected communities because these things are just showing that like they're bringing up people's vulnerabilities and if people are not feeling connected to networks and groups that are loving and caring that people really struggle and they suffer right and so nurturing you know healthy community is like just really coming to the to the fore right now like really realizing that this is something that we can no longer kind of way to react for like things to go wrong but we need to really be proactive in like taking care of ourselves in our communities like this is you know it's a fad kifaya it's a it's a communal obligation upon us to like be concerned about each other's well-beings and be connected right and so that that's one of the takeaways but also you know welcoming the the element of like introspection that like you know going inside and like realizing that most of you know i mean it comes back to all of the lessons of our dean you know alhamdulillah about like it starts from the inner and then and then you go you move from there you move from the internal to the outward right you don't you don't you can't just be like pointing fingers and everything like that it's it starts from within your own heart it starts from within yourself you have to start there you have to know yourself you have to heal yourself you have to then be with your family you have to be connected to them you have to take care of them right you have to be concerned with your neighbors. You have to be concerned with the community and just keep going, going out, right? It's not the reverse of like reading the news and being concerned with what's going on on the other side of the world and what am I going to do and what's going to happen? No, like this is an opportunity and a call for us to really bring it in and bring it back in and, and get, get the methodology correct, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. It's beautiful insights, brother, and I hope we all take away things from that. Did you have a particular um, hadith or ayat that has stood out to you during your your life history? Uh, something that was very transformational. I mean, you know, in the same vein, I would say one that constantly um, for me is like it's a permanent one that's. You know, and all of mashallah, all of the Quran is Mubarak. This this ayah of you know, God does not change the condition of a people until they change what is in themselves. It's just like always, you know, it's always calling. And particularly right now, it's it's about that, like let's go inside, let's 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 rectify our inward, right? It's time to do that so that we can also have a beautiful outward inshallah you know so that's that's one that i always kind of i come back to and as you know being in the in the counseling profession it's one that's like that's <laughs> you know that's that's a gem because it's 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 empowering it's like you have volition you have the ability to be in charge of your intentions your determinings your strivings your uh you know you have you have this this is your agency right you're not in control of outcomes right don't worry about the outcomes allah will take care of the outcomes right but you are in charge of your intentions you are in 
charge of what you strive for and your effort. Like that's that we have to do the work, right? So that's why I love that ayah. It's just it's very empowering. And and the hadith, you know, about the, you know, it's about you know, uh, you know, truly, surely, in the body there is a there's a piece of flesh. If it is sound, the whole body is sound. And if it is corrupt, the whole body is corrupt. And truly, it is the heart. You know, that is, again, bringing, bringing the focus and attention inward and back to the core of our being, the center of our being, which is our hearts, right? And, and these are why I love, you know, that hadith and that ayah is like, it's always bringing it back to what what is of ultimate concern to you is like the condition of your heart, right? SubhanAllah, it's so true. Thank you, brother, for sharing the, these deep truths with us and just opening up and sharing a bit about yourself and your life journey, your, your practice, where things have been today. It's been, it's been an honor and a blessing from Allah that uh, I've had the opportunity to get to know you uh, even deeper today. Uh, but of course, over the past few years, yeah. I, inshallah, we don't know where our futures are necessarily going. Allah Allah. Um, but may he continue to strengthen the bonds of the relationships that we have um, and the ones that we hold dear to. Inshallah. Inshallah. And I know it's been a pleasure having you here as one of the first guests on Sober Awakenings podcast. And hopefully maybe we'll have you back one day down the road uh, as a revisit. It'll be a beautiful thing, inshallah. I really appreciate it, you know, and, and may Allah bless you in your work. And it's been, honestly, it's been an honor to have you in the Portland community and just seeing, like, the work that you've, you just came, you know, you hit the ground running in the Portland community when you came back. And, like, it's been a great blessing to have you supporting the community and the elders at MCCP and, like, getting things really moving, you know, with the radio and the podcast and everything. So, alhamdulillah, may Allah increase you and, and put put uh, a lot of baraka in your time and your efforts and, and make you a means of benefit to, to yourself and, and the community inshallah 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 uh, and brother Ramin, i know if any of our listeners um are wanting to connect with you you have your uh, your website the sound heart mm-hmm. integrative counseling is that dot org it's dot com dot yeah. com okay sound heart integrative counseling dot com it's just it's uh sound counseling dot com and then for the um for my emails, info at Sunheart uh, Counseling. Uh, yeah, info at, why can't I remember my email now? <laughs> info at sunheartcounseling.com. So the, yeah, the, the name of my uh, practice is Soundheart Integrative Counseling, but it's just uh, Soundheart Counseling for the website. That's great. And we'll have all the information for anyone uh, in the show notes as well for the program. Yeah. Jazakallah khair for your time. Jazakallah khair. You've been listening to Sober Awakenings. Special thanks to Ramin Rahatsat for joining me for this first episode. You can check him out at soundheartcounseling.com his email is info at soundheartcounseling.com and he's also on facebook and instagram so give him a follow and like there too you know my personal takeaway from this interview was realizing that 
the group agreements that we use in coaching and counseling settings can really be communalized for most types of relational engagement. You know, I'll include the five agreements in the show notes, but just briefly to mention them again, they are number one being confidentiality, number two, the quote, come as you are to Islam as it is from Imam Zaid Shakar. Number three, the Husn al-Dan, having a good opinion of each other. For stepping up, stepping back, really balancing the engagement and remembering to listen. And number five being the no-knowledge rule, always being ready to explain yourself. These are amazing guidelines for building successful relational dialogues. I've witnessed the success Ramin has had with them and further seen them as we've utilized them in the group coaching sessions with the Zakina Method of Recovery. But you don't need to be in these settings to benefit from this. If you're struggling in any interpersonal relationship, these principles will aid in uplifting your environment and provide you a foundation for moving forward. Please always reach out for help if you are in serious harm. And know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he does not burden us with more than we can bear. Alhamdulillah. New episodes of Sober Awakenings are available for you each month. Special thanks this time to Zoom for facilitating as the virtual recording studio. This episode was recorded on Zoom. Music was by Sound the Encounter. Our guest today was Ramin Rahatsad. Sober Awakenings is a production of the Sakina Method of Recovery, and I'm your coach, Tim Brinicky. May the peace and blessings of God be with you all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.